Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I am your host, Thomas Jackson. We have finally made it to the last week of the regular season. I say finally, but it went by so fast. Um, faster than the normal fast college football season feels like even. Uh, just being so busy with the pod has been a lot of fun. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening along all year. It's been a really fun uh, experiment, and I'm excited to keep it going through the end of the season and on to next year. So before we get to all of our fun topics, I have a couple more serious things to get to first. Uh, a couple people in my life have passed away recently, and that's why this pod is coming out a little bit late because I was back in Alabama for a funeral last weekend. So my pledge brother, John Michael Pierce, unfortunately, uh, couldn't uh, make it out of his battle with cancer, and it was a really beautiful ceremony, and I would like to dedicate this episode to him and his loving memory, as well as Cecil Hurt, who I didn't know personally, but I think anybody who grew up in the state of Alabama, you know, feels like they know well, especially everybody who was a fan of the Crimson Tide. Cecil was not just a sports journalist, but really a cultural figure in the whole state and across the whole SEC. So to both of them, uh, thoughts and prayers to their families. I'm going to miss them both dearly. And uh, yeah, I would like to just dedicate this episode to them. On another note, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. This episode is going to be coming out late Wednesday night, so you might not see it until uh, Thursday morning, which I was hoping to get it out sooner, but just been a hectic past week. So Hopefully you can find time to listen on Friday if you've got a little downtime at home or in the car, in an airport, whatever. going to be a fun episode talking about all the rivalry games coming up. This is the schedule going forward. We're going to do kind of a normal schedule next week, previewing the conference championship games. I'm going to have Garrett Bulldog back on as we uh, promised week one. Uh, since the Georgia Bulldogs are playing my Crimson Tide in the SEC. So we'll do kind of another deep dive into that game and look at all the other matchups across the country. On this episode, I'm excited to introduce Houston Howie, Dylan Clark, and Stephen Owens, three of my very good buddies from high school and even before that growing up. Dylan and Stephen both went to Auburn, and Houston was my roommate sophomore and junior year at Alabama. So they're all coming on little bit later in the pod to do a deeper dive into the Iron Bowl, have a little fun, mix it up a little bit uh, as we look forward to this year's Alabama-Auburn game. So hope everybody enjoys, has a safe, happy Thanksgiving, and uh, travels safely. Before I get into the Week 12 recap from this past Saturday, uh, the biggest news to come out of the weekend is that Dan Mullen was fired from Florida, as you have all seen already at this point, I'm sure. I would have normally liked to do a whole break the glass episode and spend a half hour just talking about his tenure at the gate at the Gators and what they might do going forward. Uh, pretty bizarre ride. I don't have time to really dive deep into it, but you know, as you all know, he was this was his fourth season in Gainesville after being hired from Mississippi State, and of course, he was the offensive coordinator. Um, on some of those great Florida squads under Urban Meyer when, you know, Tebow and even Cam Newton uh, was on the on the Gators. Um, and then he was seven points away from beating Alabama, or eight points technically, I guess, from beating Alabama in the SEC championship game last year in Atlanta. 
and that would have sent the Gators to the college football playoff. It looked like he had them on a great trajectory to really, you know, be eye to eye with Georgia for years to come. And this year, just it all fell apart. The quarterback situation in Gainesville was just kind of a weird roller coaster all year between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Uh, Mullen was definitely loyal to Emory Jones, and I think a lot of the Gator faithful and just other casual college football consumers expected to see more of Anthony Richardson than we really did later on in the season after he had a really impressive, you know, few touches here and there early on. Uh, the recruiting was never really there for Mullen. I think he's the type of guy that, you know, is a really bright offensive mind, but he clearly was not bringing in the types of classes you need to at the University of Florida to compete with Georgia in the East and especially, you know, whatever juggernaut comes out of the West every single year. This year, you know, they started pretty strong. They were damn close to beating Alabama. Um, if it weren't for a miss PAT, that game could have gone to overtime. And with the momentum there in the fourth quarter, I would not expect that Alabama would have been able to pull it off in the swamp in overtime. So Alabama kind of dodged a bullet then, but we all thought Florida was really good. And then it's just really been all downhill since then. After a couple losses to, I mean, they got stomped by Georgia, but who hasn't? You know, that's obviously hard to swallow for the Gators, no matter how good or bad you are any given year. But then they lose to South Carolina in just miserable fashion, almost lose to Samford at home. Uh, Samford put up 52 points, I believe it was, on them in the swamp, and they trailed for a lot of that game, too. Um, and then this past week, the nail in the coffin was losing at Missouri in overtime. Really inexcusable for the Gators to lose to, you know, probably the 13th and 14th, or sorry, 12th and 13th worst teams in the SEC, only, you know, with Vandy being worse. So, this uh, an odd situation there. I really have no clue where Mullen goes next, but it seems like Florida should really try to find someone that's, uh, you know, recruiting buff because they have way too much talent in their own state to not be, you know, churning out top 10, even top five classes on a consistent basis. And Mullen just wasn't getting them there. In other coaching news, James Franklin just signed a 10-year extension with Penn State. Uh, pretty shocking deal, really, because he was rumored to be, you know, a leader for the USC job. He's been a pretty popular coaching candidate for, you know, any blue blood position over the past several years. Penn State obviously kind of fell off towards the end of this season um, compared to where they were, I'd say, the first half or so. But, yeah, he's uh, apparently happy in Happy Valley, and they're happy with him. I think this is just surprising because both – it seems like both sides could have just, you know, parted ways if Franklin did get a different head coaching job. It doesn't feel like Penn State fans would be terribly upset about that. And, you know, just it's surprising to see him sign a 10-year deal. But, you know, good for him. I think he's making $7 million a year. So, I get it. That money, you know, when they offer it on a piece of paper, that's hard to, hard to walk away from. So, congrats to James Franklin and Penn State on a uh, very long marriage to come. So, now getting into the Week 12 recap, we're going to just hit on these games a little quicker than normal due to time constraints here. Uh 
Alabama had a pretty good scare with Arkansas. I didn't get to see any of this game just because of my obligations on Saturday, but went back and watched some of the highlights and whatnot. And, you know, Bama kind of kept a 10-ish point lead for most of the game. So the final score, um, I mean, it was it, it was close. Arkansas had the ball down six in the fourth quarter with a chance to take the lead, and they just never could quite catch up, but Bama won that one, and Bryant Denny, 42-35. to 35. Uh, Bryce Young had a huge day. K.J. Jefferson played really well. I know Arkansas's receivers really got to Bama's DBs and everything, um, so I, I knew it would be a tough matchup, but, you know, was hoping Bama could, you know, if anything, kind of like the Tennessee game, even if it was close for most of the game, pull away more than we did at the end. But Arkansas is a tough physical squad. Sam Pittman has them playing uh, the best they have in recent memory, really. Uh, It's been at least five or six years since they've had a season this successful. So, um, you know, I'm not surprised they put up a good fight. But Bama, you know, still just (laughs) getting by week after week, surviving in advance, you know. I mean, if Bama goes on to beat Auburn and Georgia, then all of this can be forgotten quickly. But, you know, I don't like to do the whole bitch and moan when it's you know when you're the number now three team in the country I'm recording this part on Tuesday night right after the CFP rankings came out and uh but you know I mean it's clearly hasn't been a it doesn't feel like most other top two or three Alabama teams that we've seen in years past and uh can't overlook the Iron Bowl in Auburn obviously it's been 10 years since we won, won one of those really convincingly but um yeah it's you know everyone's Obviously a little worried about the dogs here in a couple of weeks, so we're going to see what Bama's truly made of here the next the next week or two, depending on how Auburn comes out. But more on that later, obviously. Number three, Oregon, got absolutely jackhammered by Utah. We all know that Salt Lake City, especially at nighttime this late in the season, is one of the harder places to play in all of college football. Uh, I don't think anyone expected Utah to win this one 38-7, even if you did have Utah winning. I thought it was a coin flip, kind of liked Oregon um, a little bit because they, you know, can usually get up for the big games like this, even if they look flat against worse opponents. But yeah, Utah totally outmanned them. And it sucks that Utah, you know, got off to such a bad start to the season with the Baylor transfer quarterback who came in and just kind of derailed all the good things they had going. Because ever since Cameron Rising has been in, Utah has been very formidable and they're on their way to a Pac-12 championship, they're going to get a rematch with Oregon, assuming that Oregon can beat Oregon State in the Civil War this upcoming Saturday. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, I mean, God, it's hard to believe Utah could do that to him again. You'd have to believe that even if they did win, Oregon would put up a way better fight, but we'll see soon enough. Number four, Ohio State, who's num- now number two, uh, beat Michigan State. 56 to 7. This one was 49 to 0 at half. Uh, it's, I mean, I saw a little bit of the first half of this one. It's like every time you looked up, Ohio State was just throwing a bomb for seven. Mel Tucker, everybody was joking because he was rumored to have a 10 year extension offered to him at Michigan State for, I think, 95 mil. I uh, could be wrong on that figure, but close to it. And everyone was joking that he was uh, he was running to the running to the locker room at halftime, trying to find the document on his phone to sign and everything. And uh, you know, I mean, still a great season for Sparty and everything. I mean, considering 
where he picked this program up. It was in a pretty bad place, and they did a fantastic job in the transfer portal. But Ohio State is looking like the pretty clear number two team in the country, and right now it looks like it'd be pretty surprising if it was anybody but them in Georgia uh, in the national championship game to finish things off, which even, you know, my rooting interest aside, that would be a hell of a ball game with that Ohio State offense against the Georgia defense. But we will, a lot of ball to play until then, so we'll see. Cincinnati, uh, this was the first decent opponent they've played in quite some time in SMU, and they finally rose to the occasion and looked as good as, their, uh, you know, the ranking beside their name suggested. They beat the Mustangs 48-14, to so the Bearcats taking care of business. They finish up with ECU this week before they play Houston in the American Conference Championship, so a couple more wins, and Bearcats could very well be the uh, first group of five team to ever make the playoff. They just got bumped up to number four since Oregon got moved out of the top four in the playoffs, so it feels like if they have a couple more performances like this, they'll be in. UCLA beat USC 62 to 33 in the Coliseum. Like I said last week, uh, I was, you know, I think there were like 10,000 people maybe in the Coliseum. I don't ever remember it being that empty even though, you know, USC fans are known to not exactly show up when things aren't going too swimmingly for the Trojans there, but good lord, USC has been a total total disaster this year and both of these teams were pretty disappointing compared to you know their expectations going into the season, but uh, good win for UCLA there to knock off their in-town rivals. Like I discussed earlier, Florida lost on the road to Missouri 24-23 to in overtime. Uh, that ended up being the last one for Dan Mullen. Uh, you know, after the South Carolina game, it felt optimistic to say that Dan Mullen would make it past this season alive Uh, but still just with the recent success it was you know hard to believe it just fell so quickly but yeah after you almost lose to Samford at home and then lose to Missouri it's a pretty easy decision for Scott Strickland the athletic director at Florida there to move on last game we'll quickly mention is South Carolina beating Auburn 21 to 17 there in Columbia Auburn blows another double-digit lead. They were up 14-0 in the first half and uh, then got outscored 21-3 for the rest of the year. Of course, Auburn has T.J. Finley starting at quarterback since Bo's out with the broken ankle for the rest of the year. So, you know, I mean, Auburn's lost three straight, and we will, uh, I guess, now discuss the Iron Bowl Right now with my buddies Stephen Houston and Dylan. Welcome them on to the podcast, and we'll get the preview going. So Dylan is going to Auburn, maybe going to the game, maybe not. Stephen, are you going into the game or just hanging on the planes? Um, so I will be there. It kind of depends on my mom's like high school friend. She's a she's a realtor and has like. She's like a business realtor and has a bunch of like seats that I guess like she gives to the companies that buy from them. And so we usually get the leftovers. So it's kind of up to that right now. Gotcha. But it's looking like I'll probably be at a bar watching it in Auburn. Yeah. What are you just going down on Friday? Yeah. Yeah. Sydney has to work today. So we're kind of left behind. It's just going to be me and her here in Huntsville. Is your whole family down there already? No, they're in uh, Fort Walton. Seeing oh. my grandma. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're the ones left behind here. 
Gotcha. Yeah, Is I was it, uh, working all day. 2.30 CBS kickoff? I yeah. 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 Got that yeah. Looks like a really nice day. It's going to be like sunny and 55 around kickoff, so couldn't be better weather. But So I was kind of getting nervous about this game, like before the Auburn A&M game, after Auburn beat Ole Miss, and you kind of realize like, okay, even though Auburn dropped a couple at the beginning of the season, like they're still in the spot where they control their own destiny in the West. And of course, with it being in Auburn, it's been like a decade since we've just had like, I mean, it's been six years since we won there. And it's been like 10 years since we had like a convincing win because um, the 2015 game was pretty tight. I was I watched that one with Steve in the Auburn student section. But um, then, you know, that's always a good time. Auburn dropped it to A&M, which is like, yeah, no biggie. But I don't know. Auburn guys, what are y'all's thoughts after the past couple of weeks? It's kind of gone downhill quick, especially with the injuries and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think... you just kind of said it right there. You see, you can go ahead and talk this if you want, but um, you kind of just laid it out right there. Pretty much. Like, like you said, going into Auburn versus Texas A&M, we had expectations. There's the dreaded just repeating cycle of what is being an Auburn fan. Don't get, don't get expectations. Don't get expectations. They start winning. You know, the, the top ten starts thinning out. We're like, okay, here's our, our line in. And then we go into Texas A&M. First quarter, we can't run the ball. We can't make anything happen, but we're in the game. And then, God forbid, I can't remember what his name is, that, that linebacker we just couldn't get past. But essentially it's, what, 3-10, to 10, I think, going in the second half of that game. And ever from that point on, I don't think we've had one convincing drive out of the second half that's, like, made me want to watch Auburn football. Whether, like, I think we don't score – I don't know if we've scored more than, like, three points in the second half. Literally since that second half of the Texas A&M game. We may have had one touchdown against Mississippi State. I think that, and then maybe three against South Carolina in the second half. But yeah, it has because yeah. I mean, because y'all, it's y'all have had great first halves the past couple of weeks. But yeah, it has been just second half, just totally stalling just like, out. Yeah, but that trend and, and, actually um, stretches back to the Ole Miss game. Even like we actually, you know, obviously we won that game, but we really offensively didn't do anything in the second half of that game either. Um, our right. defense closed that game out, and then. Um, that's been a trend since as far back as that. So do we have any theories for the the cause of the second half stalls, especially, I mean, it's, it's not like you've had full games that are really bad. Like the past couple weeks, even last week with Finley playing, you got up 14 zero. So like something was working right. And obviously a way bigger lead in the state game, but what's, what's, what's been changing. Is it just been, a lack of adjustments to the defense's adjustments, or I mean, I know I know I've heard gripes from Auburn fans about the offensive coordinator the past past few weeks. But what do y'all think? I mean, as hard as it has been to watch the offense, it's almost been more stressful to watch the defense of Derek Mason not changing a thing. I don't think we've we've had the least dialed up blitzes. I think in the whole SEC, you can't quote me on that, but just from a not looking at statistics, it's been mind-boggling. I don't know how bad our defensive line is, but I, I, I don't know how few of pressures you can have and go without one single blitz 
and just sit there and watch score after score after score. But yes, like the offense, like you said, it is. It, it almost seems like Gus Gus Malzahn esque of the version of no matter how bad it gets is we're going to run it on first down. We're going to throw a screen on third down or on second down. And then we're stuck in this third and long of this repeating cycle. that just makes you. I know <laughs> how you feel about your screen. Yeah. <laughs> that's a well, interesting one- way to put it. Feeling Gus Malzahn esque on the defense. Cause that's, I mean, Derek Mason has not shown shown Auburn fans that he's been capable of making good second half adjustments much this season as best evidence you have of that is the Mississippi state debacle, obviously, but, um, that's been a, a huge concern this year. Um, strike, strikes up a lot of conversation amongst that. So that's a, yeah, that's a good way to put it, Stephen. Well, the Bama line isn't exactly a, exactly very strong. So uh, yeah. pretty much every team we played has been able to get pressure just at will. So it, it might be a get right game for, for Auburn's D line against us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Houston, what have you seen the past? It's just been such a weird, like, I honestly don't like doing the whole like, you know, complain and gripe when you're 11 and one and number three team in the country. But like anyone that's watched any ball over the past few years can see that this team is just like they're just letting everybody like hang around and hang around. And like we've, you know, our talent can pull us out of like games like LSU and Arkansas when it's close. But, you know, I mean, and maybe the iron bowl too, but it just feels like soon enough. It's just like, what's the, what the hell is going on? Like the offensive line is just getting dominated. I mean, I don't know. It's just been weird. What, what, what are you feeling going into this game? I mean, I, yeah, no one wants to hear like a Bama fan bitch and complain, which is fair enough. Uh, been spoiled enough. Uh, but I would like, just in terms of like, say since like 2010, I think this is like the worst we've looked just in terms of like how we play, like the, the mid-tier SEC teams, like even in down years, like we always like would kick the shit out of Arkansas or like kick the shit out of the uh, teams like AM. Uh, maybe like one one game a year like that, and we've had like four or five now that are just like nail biters. Like LSU was ridiculous. Like, it's the LSU. The LSU is a real head scratcher for me. Yeah. Yeah, but it, even like the the Arkansas game was, I don't know. I'm like a on a good game of year, we're we're winning that game with like 21, 28 points ish. Uh, well, that's why I kind of think the, the line Vegas seems to still be giving Bama like credit, like 2019, 2020 Bama, like yeah. in 19 and a half, uh, we keep getting like these 20 being these 20 point favorites against like everyone, all these like ranked SEC teams. And I, and I don't know, I don't, I don't see Auburn as being less than, or uh, if not, they're probably more talented than like LSU, even Arkansas. Like, I, I don't know, 19 and a half seems like way too high for me. It's hard now with all the injuries. Like I'd really, I'd be really curious to like know what the line would have been if Vo was healthy, and you know, I mean, even like the kickers hurt now. Like I have to imagine it would have been, you know, probably like twelve or something. If, if so, when, is... when I was, I was actually in uh, Las Vegas for the Auburn LSU game, and um, I want to say it was ten and a half. It was 10, 10 or 11 points after that win, and it didn't. We were just looking to see if it would move, and it never moved. But I think that was at the beginning of, like, a what little Auburn run had. That so, was a, that was the same day that we beat Ole Miss. So that's, you know, probably the collectively the best day that both of our teams have had together, right. you know, because that's certainly the, the best that we've looked all year um, was that Ole Miss game. But, yeah, I don't know, 19 and a half, like – 
I mean, me and Steve always put a nice little wager <laughs> down between just between the two of us for the iron bowls. But I mean, it's a type of thing where it, it wouldn't really be surprising either way. Cause like I was saying, it's been since 2011 when I believe Alabama won like 42 to 14, it was a really bad Auburn team that year, but that's the last time that we just like went into Auburn and didn't have any troubles Cause then three out of the last four we've lost. And then even in 2015, when we won the national championship and Auburn did not have a very good team at all. Like I remember going into the fourth quarter, it was like a one score game. And, you know, the reason we won is because we had Derek Henry on our team and he just totally took the game over. But so this year it's like, it wouldn't surprise me if it was another game like that, where I'm kind of biting my fingernails going into the fourth quarter, but We've seen Alabama have matchups like against Tennessee where going into the fourth, it's a one score game. And then Alabama just like wakes up, gets a turnover. And, you know, then like all of a sudden it's a, it's a 20, 25 point ball game. But then, you know, I mean, Auburn, if they can have another good first half and get a turnover, a trick play in the third quarter or something like that, then, I mean, even with, even with Finley, I mean, I've only seen him a little bit this year, but I don't know. I mean, I just with how Bama's just been screwing around and kind of shooting itself in the foot so much this year, and especially if we can't get a run game going, it wouldn't surprise me to, you know, see this be way closer, way deeper in the second half than anyone wearing crimson would prefer. But... Yeah. So I, I was at – or I was at Tuscaloosa for the Tennessee game. I watched the Arkansas game. What did LSU do to make that such a low-scoring game? Because I feel like either way, usually Alabama's going to get their 30 points. They completely dominated our offensive line. We had we had lit, literally – I'm, I'm going to look this up right now, but it was in the single digits our rushing yards. Six um, yards. Six yards rushing. <laughs> so yeah, that's, they were, that's they were in the back though, the entire – they run the backfield the entire game. It was it was pretty pathetic. <laughs> Our offensive line has been just, you know, way below what we're used to all year. And our running backs have been banged up, but that's still like no excuse because even our backup running backs, you know, most teams would still be happy to have them starting. And it's just we couldn't get anything going on the ground. And Bryce was just under assault the whole game. So um yeah, I mean, I know I don't know too much about Auburn's defense specifically this year, but I mean, it, you know, I can't remember the last time that they didn't have a good front seven. So that's definitely a little bit worrisome if we can't can't run the ball and we're really really shallow. Like I don't know if the two of y'all, Stephen and Dylan, know about Slade Bolden, but he's like our white like kind of slot wide receiver who's not yeah. really a fan favorite by any means. And he's been, he's been having to run like emergency third string running back reps the past like couple weeks. Cause we've got two guys out for the season. So if one more person were to go down, it would get extre- extremely, extremely worrisome. <laughs> but right now our one, two punch is still okay, but our offensive line has just been, just been getting whipped all year. Yeah. Well, the way our secondary the difference, is going, now go ahead. If you want to know the difference between this Bama team and like a 2016, 2017 Bama team, it's that Slade wouldn't have even made the roster on those teams. And he's getting like 20 touches a game on this team. 
Well, yeah, he's, he's starting now, whereas the past several years, it's been like even our first backup coming off the bench is like a future first rounder, but things just kind of finally thinned out and there hasn't been a freshman that's really stepped up like I expected there to be, but especially Jojo Earl getting hurt and a couple other guys were getting some some touches in the Arkansas game uh, last week, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Slade's like a, a make a wish kid out there. It seems like <laughs> I feel like I, I don't know why. Yeah. I really haven't seen him play a lot this year, so now I'm excited to tune into that narrative this Saturday and uh, see what happens there because I don't really know much about the kid. So that's um, as an yeah. Auburn fan, you should be be rooting for him to get as many touches as possible. Yeah, <laughs> returning every punt. He's easy like, to whatever, find. Whenever he's on the field. He's the white wide play. receiver. <laughs> yeah, he he that returns punts too. So just ridiculous. Like <laughs> he's all over the field. He's doing a lot of you guys and he's involved with y'all's game plan and he's you know in special teams and he's getting that many touches, sounds like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's all over the place, but we have like yeah. the fast one of the fastest receivers in the country. It could be returning punts, and instead we have Slade back there just looking like he doesn't know what he's doing. Like he, he dropped one last week. Like if, if, if you're at least going to return punts and like not have any ability to be electric whatsoever, you at least should like catch the ball. Just feel it safe. Uh, not fumble. Yeah. yeah. Like, why? Well, I don't understand why, why he's back there. Well, speaking of receivers, that brings up another point. Our number one receiver, Kobe Hudson did not play last week. Um, had a, I was out for a concussion. So he's a game time decision as of now, Steven, I don't know if you know any more about his injury status, but that's definitely something that uh, I've had my eyes on the past couple of days, if he's going to be in there or not. Um, obviously, with um, with Bo out, with Finley in there and everything, like, we need him in there. We need – I mean, we're, we're a running team. Last week, our, our issues with South Carolina, it's like we gave Tank the ball 22 times. He had like 164 total rushing yards, I believe is what it was. But down the stretch, we weren't giving him the ball when it mattered. Um, we had a fourth and one play where – Instead of, um, you know, trusting Tank with the ball or even with um, TJ Finley, he's like 6'6", so definitely not a small guy. Uh, we opted to throw the ball down the field, so that was definitely questionable. Um, yeah, that was a hard Finley, play to watch. Definitely hard to watch. Um, and so really with our passing game, like with having having Hudson out, I mean, I don't know how much it really helps, but that's, um, that's something I've had my eyes on the past couple of days. Yeah, I, I tried looking some on the way over here before we got on this but no I haven't seen anything about Kobe Hudson if like if he's active or practicing or what but I mean our our receivers in general have just been like head scratchers of you know we got Demetrius Robinson from Georgia who was a top 20 recruit in the nation whatever it was two three years ago and he just can't seem to like put it together fundamentally or whatever is going on with him I know he hasn't had near as many targets as like Kobe Hudson or or Shedrick Jackson but and then, like, so Kobe Hudson, who we were talking about, is easily one of, like, you see on paper and, like, you like what they say, like the walk-off-the-bus guys. You look at him and think he's a, a freaking stud, 6'3", like 215 and built, runs, like, probably a 4'5", 4'4", but then he, he's open in the middle of the field and just, like, looks like a giraffe stumbling. And <laughs> but he's, he's either or a five-star or he's, like, just going to be the most inconsistent player, but – Yes, I want him, and I want him to be great and start, but there's just, like, so much you can watch of 
bad opportunities to continue to want that, I guess. Yeah. Y'all did. I mean, y'all lost a couple of receivers to the NFL last year. And so, you know, that's a lot to replace for any team, but um, so I'm looking at the total it's 56 right now. Do y'all see this being a, you like that? What do you like? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't hate that. Honestly, just with, I mean, excuse me while I get a beer. If this makes a lot of noise, but um, I wouldn't be shocked if there was like a two scores based off defense alone. And that being said, I'd, I'd be shocked if Alabama doesn't like I usually say, go get their 30 points generally. And, Somewhere Auburn will make it a game in the first half, like you said, maybe in the third, get a lucky play or a, uh, an onside kick or do something. Well, I don't know if we have a kicker who can even play, but I, I do like that over in terms of just Alabama's big play capability and Auburn's luck against Alabama and the Iron Bowl at home. I mean, so. I think last in 2019, there were like four defensive or special teams touchdowns between like I think Waddle had two. I know he for sure had a kickoff return. I think he had another kickoff or like maybe a punt return for a touchdown because he had like three or four scores himself that day. And then Auburn had the two pick sixes. So that was I mean it, you know that game was insane. But something all like something always seems to happen like that when it's played in Auburn, whether it's like you know, uh, a special teams touchdown or just like trick plays, fake field goal, which Alabama's given up two scores, one to a punt, a fake punt, and one to a fake field goal just in the past like three weeks. So, I mean, hopefully for us, the our guys will be on high alert because Auburn's always good to pull some shit like that in the Iron Bowl. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of like that too. Now that you now that you say all that, but I don't know, Dylan Houston. What do y'all think? Well, uh, Stephen brought up a, another point earlier with uh, the kicking situation there. Um, yeah, we who's, gotta, who's your guy now? I'll be honest. Yeah, I have to look up the guys. Up. I don't even actually have to look up this guy's name because, uh, I mean, this is a guy that probably didn't think he was going to kick for Auburn a single time this year. If we're being honest. So I saw Carlson tore his ACL. Was this in the game or what happened? It was on an onside kick attempt where, you know, like the kicker runs out first. Mm. And just like, I don't, I, I don't remember the play specifically if he, it was like contact or just like trying to slide on the ball and got roughed up. It's where but, he kind of kicks it, the ball like right in front of him or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. So, I don't know if I've ever heard of a kicker like – having an injury that intense but and it was kind of even in like I think it was still a two-score game towards the end of the Mississippi State game so I mean yeah props for not giving up I guess but was it worth it that you're starting kicker chairs ACL yeah. and he's pretty much that, out of next year you. too yeah yeah that's tough for a kicker you know that's just not something that happens very often the the backup kicker's name is Ben Patton but I mean that's that's the guy like I was saying he probably didn't think he was going to be kicking any field goals this year because as a kicker, you really don't have that high of a risk of injury. So yeah, it happened on a, on that onside kick play that Steve was just referencing. And so, um, yeah, that's, that, that, that hurts in terms of the special teams department, but yeah, you, I mean, you really never know in this game. So. Yeah. The last time we had a backup kicker, uh, was in 2019 because our current kicker, Will Reichard got hurt as a freshman 
And uh, our backup was the one who just had the doink fest in the Iron Bowl. So y'all have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> Houston, any thoughts on actually, total? Um, uh, I mean, our defense, I think we'll probably score 30-ish. Uh, the LSU game was the only game we really got just couldn't do anything on the ground. I think I feel pretty comfortable we can get to 30-ish, uh, 35-ish. Um, and we our defense has had spurts where like we play really well for like but it's usually like a first half like we play a lot and I feel like we get gassed a lot so even if we're I could see the game being kind of low scoring first half and then second half it seems like we like for whatever reason fatigue uh, scheme like what we sent we seem to like give up a lot of points in the second half I feel like so uh, I, I I could see it hitting over but I don't know I I could see it an ugly uh, LSU Bama type game as well I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, My thoughts on the uh, 55 total is, um, you know, I don't really know. I just – I don't know how Auburn – I don't really see Auburn scoring a lot of points in this game, uh, especially with, um, you know, Bo being out and everything. So, I – it's it's really going to be – it's going to come down to how much does Alabama – how much is Alabama Alabama score and how are we going to handle Bryce Young? Because once he gets going, it it can be hard to stop. So, I don't know. It's – Blitz every time. Blitz every time, man. We cannot stop shit. Or if it's fine. So yeah, and thankfully he's thankfully yeah, yeah. he's he proven to be durable. It would be, uh, I don't know if we would be in this spot. Like if he wasn't mobile, like we would. I don't know how it, mobile like, and be durable. Much worse because like after yeah. going through a couple seasons with Tua, it's like. I just get PTSD like every time the quarterback takes a big hit, I just like wince and I know it's from, you know, his couple of injuries that set him back. But um, yeah, thankfully, I mean, there, there have been some hits this year where Bryce, I mean, and just like entire like halves at a time where Bryce has just been getting pounded. It feels like every other, every third play and he's tough. He, he always gets right up and, never complains or anything but you know it's one one bad hit can send everything south and unlike the past few years we haven't really had a we don't really have a great backup option right now so hopefully the offensive line plays better but yeah hard to believe that Auburn won't be sending the house early and often uh Auburn boys what is y'all's like uh I got a 10 how would you guys rate like the first first year under Harson? Like, are you guys? I just, I've just seen a lot of weird stuff. Like, I saw weird, something. It was linked to like Washington or something. I don't yeah, know, it's all the whole this situation like, yeah. seems seems a bit off. And I was just wondering. Obviously, you guys have been got the injury bug like the last three weeks. But uh, like overall, would you guys say like you you're happy with it? Like you were like I don't know. Would you be happy if you jump ship and left Washington or what? Dylan, do you want that first or? Yeah, I'll, no, I'll take that. And that's a really good question. Um, I saw the, the Washington thing. That was interesting. I don't think that Harson's going anywhere. And uh, personally, one to 10, it's it's hard to say. I mean, this, if, if I'm being honest, this is about what I expected. I didn't really expect um, – or my expectations were low coming into the season, you know, because I think that this is something that's going to take a few years to build upon with Harson. Um, completely – really just a completely um, different culture that he's bringing into the program and uh, a lot of changes going on there. I think that to really give it a fair assessment, um, I would say that 
I'd like to see two, three seasons, let him get a couple of recruiting classes under his belt and see what he's able to build with this personally. Um, I mean, the last, the last three weeks have been very disappointing. We had momentum, we had momentum uh, after that old Miss game. And then it was really, you know, not great to see the way we've performed down the stretch. But again, we've had a lot of injuries. Uh, we had a lot of guys transfer out of the program last year when Gus left, left and, um, so really, it's been kind of hard to say. You know, he's he's had to use the talent he's had. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not down on it right now. I would say give it a couple more years and see what he's able to do. Yeah, just like I was, I was curious because I know like the last like seven or so years, I've always like it's been. I, I've just had to hear a lot about Gus and like I always you everyone always has like I don't know. He was a pretty controversial coach. Uh, I would say like just in terms of what people like thought of him. I always thought he was pretty good, but I know like Auburn hands hated him at times, loved him at times. So I just didn't know like what the if you guys were like in the new the new situation or if yeah, and it, it's hard right now, I feel like, to make a an accurate like judgment of him. I'm about to send y'all something that I'll I'll kind of dive into about Brian Harson. But um so like say if you flipped this season and we started off one and four and then, you know, won a couple of games. We, we'd probably be saying, you know, this is what we like Dylan saying. And I, I feel the same way. This is what we expected, but he's showing some positive, but in, in, instead it, you know, it's kind of started in a positive direction where we got a, a real game out of Penn state, you know, played a first half against Georgia and we were on a good roll. And then we're, we have what we have now. And then we don't really have much to look forward to in recruiting Yes, it's his first year, but, you know, at the same time, you're in the SEC and you don't really get the the true three-year, four-year plan to make things happen unless you're a, a Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, or, you know, Urban Meyer. So you, you're kind of on the chopping block the, the, the day you get there. But you'll see what I just sent you all. And this kind of what I think about recruiting. So when I'm, one of Nick's friends uh, – plays football in high school and is getting recruited by Brian Harson, And he sent this generic ass video out. You can, you can watch it whenever, but it's, it just looks like the, the poorest attempt of recruiting somebody. And apparently this is the kind of things like, so my mom's big on message boards and I, I guess people who look into a lot of recruiting aspects and apparently he's not a big traveler, doesn't go to a lot of games, doesn't reach out individually and, sends very big, like broad messages or videos to players to try to come on visits, but he's not really the, what I did appreciate about Gus Malzahn every off week or every Tuesday, Wednesday in the week, he was in Georgia, Florida, Texas, recruiting at games and stuff. And we were at least competitive and we had a a five-star to look at. We had 10 to 12, four stars coming in. But if you look right now, we got three and we're in the same cycle. I don't think we've had a, a four-star offensive lineman coming in and we're losing four seniors this year. So we're not on an upward trend by any means either. So I don't think it gets easier for him next year. So unless some things change right here at the end of the season, and recruiting picks up. I could I see the recruiting thing getting better. He is yeah. like Northwest, I guess. And, and I don't know if he's probably never like recruited the Southeast for real. So he probably needs to like build those relationships and stuff. Uh, I just, yeah, yeah, I, just, just yeah. I don't know. 
I just watched the video that Steven sent us and that was pretty funny. Is yeah, it was just like a, it's like like 15 seconds or just saying like hey, like good luck in your game tonight, like you know, be the best player you can be or whatever, like war eagle. But like I noticed Steven said it was generic and like Harson started the video by saying, "Hey, what's up? Good luck in your game tonight." So I immediately noticed that he didn't say a player's he didn't say the player's name. So he probably just sent that to like 80 kids or whatever and just like didn't take the time in, you know, I mean, all these players talk to each other that are getting recruited. Like nowadays they know each other from like social media and camps and playing in the playoffs and stuff. So uh, have to imagine that some of them will kind of figure the stick out, you know, and if, if they get a personalized or, you know, phone call or, I mean, I know Saban always does phone calls and stuff. So if they get a, something a little more personal and uh, touching from another head coach, you have to imagine that won't, won't look too well, but just my theory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was just my first, first opinion looking at that video. I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool and all, but Hey, what's up really to you? <laughs> yeah. There's not a hundred other kids on a Friday going to play football with getting that same message probably. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So. But right. I, I think wrong. that was I hope things change. Go ahead, Dylan. I was just gonna say that was I think that was the, one of the biggest concerns with him or questions was how is how is Harson going to recruit in the southeast? You know, he's got this uh repertoire up in up in the Pacific Northwest and everything. He's got connections there, but it's like how's this dude gonna adapt to being in the SEC and this landscape down here? So all these are really good points that we just brought up there. That's um that's the biggest question I think with him right now. And um yeah, that's that's what uh, we're curious to see, I guess, but that same train of thought kind of made when I saw the Washington rumors, like, and like, I don't even know where that came from. I just like saw a bunch of Auburn fans, like all of a sudden it tweeting so about it on, uh, on Monday, I guess it was, but his kind of, you know, experience in the Pacific Northwest, it's like, well, maybe he kind of realized like, yeah, it's hard to just like get to know all these random high school coaches when you've never been here before. And obviously he filled up his, his staff with other coaches that have been in the sec for a while, like Derek Mason and everything. But you know, it's still just kind of a whole nother ball game when you're trying to run a sec program of that, you know, caliber and try to just, you know, I can't imagine how overbearing that is, but yeah, the Washington thing, it, I guess it wouldn't really be surprising either way, honestly, just because, seems like he has spent most of his career up there. Yeah. Well, so go ahead. I am a little left out on that Washington news. Is it something that he may jump train and, and go to Washington or is there any, is it all just rumor? It was just a random report. Like, uh, that they were like, they were interested in him or something. And it was just kind of like out of nowhere. And it was just, it was just weird. The whole thing was just kind of weird. I was like, what, I don't know. I just SEC saw a bunch of. I didn't even see a report. I just saw a bunch of Auburn fans just tweeting about it, and I was like, "Well, like, <laughs> it's not like the most crazy thing you've ever heard, you know, with him coming from Boise and everything." And Washington does need a coach, but I don't know. It it was just like very like out of the blue, but the SEC yeah. coaching carousel has become like a bit like international soccer, like the last like three years, like. I remember like guys used to get like two, three years for sure. And then you start to like evaluate from there, but now it's like you go one or two years. I mean, Dan Mullen was like, his team was very good last year. I guess that was a different story. I think he was just kind of like, I think he just wasn't really liked by uh, 
a yeah, lot of the people so. there. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like to go from like being an SEC title game, almost beating Bama last year, having a, a down year for sure this year. But like, I don't know. It's just crazy to me that like how, how quickly you guys get fired. In the I was SEC. saying that in like the rest of the podcast that I recorded last night, he was eight points away from beating Bama, like maybe the greatest Bama team ever and going to the playoff last year. And he doesn't even make it to the end of the season this year. It was just, yeah. it's just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Edo, Edo, same thing, like two years after winning the title, he's yep. gone. Yep. It's wild. Well, I want to wrap it up. I'll start with, keep you guys too I'll start long. with Chiswick. Yeah. Chiswick. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough out there, but I'll let everybody go. I don't know if anybody has a, a score prediction or a favorite favorite side of the spread or over under or anything you want to throw out before we get off. But I'm kind of intrigued. I kind of like that over better than the uh, better than either side of the spread right now. But I like Auburn on the spread, but I'll say uh, 35, 28 Bama. Dylan, I'm going to stay away from the sides. I do like the over. I think it'll be something more like 21 or yeah, sure. I'll get, I'll give up now. I can't give up in 21 Auburn 17, Alabama 34 or something. And if I did have to like something that I have already took it, taken is uh Auburn first quarter over three and a half points. Which I was kind of thinking, funny. I'm not going to play it, but like if I were a neutral fan, like Auburn first first quarter, first half, I could, Hey, kitty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking like, I mean, basically what y'all are saying, like a 35, 24 type of type of game. What about you, Dylan? I'm uh, bearish on the Auburn spread, so I don't, it's hard to say, but uh, if if I like anything, I like first half bets on Auburn to come out there, kind of come out fired up. I'm not, I haven't seen the first half spread, but um, let me, that's, check it. That's let me see if it's out right now. See if you can see if you can get a line on the first half. I think you got um, 16 and a half is what I'm seeing on DraftKings. I'm it's seeing not a, 10 and a half. Oh, this is alternate spreads. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First half <laughs> is first half is 10 and a half, and that total is 28 and a half. And then first quarter is six and a half. Yeah, first quarter six and a half. First half ten and a half. Uh, the, I kind of I kind of like Auburn in those um, first half lines there. Um, I mean Auburn's half, probably spread. covered every single first half line in Jordan Hare Iron Bowls since like we've been alive. I don't like I don't know that for a fact, but it, it feels like that's probably the case. <laughs> yeah, I like the yeah. first quarter thing with Auburn too. So I, I took Arkansas. I took Arkansas plus seven first quarter last week, and that actually was close to not getting there because Bama scored on like the first play of the second quarter, but it it got home. But I don't know. Kind of a kind of a weird iron bowl, but hope uh, hope everybody. If you don't enjoy the game, have fun doing whatever you're doing. What are you What are you doing, Houston, for the game? Uh, I haven't made any plans. Probably not going to Auburn, but I mean, you never know. Are you gonna? You're Sometimes gonna be I make a last minute call. Most yeah, likely, I'll just be on some. Probably watch the bar or something. 
yeah all of like we have a good bit of like alabama and auburn friends here um that we've made over football season in denver but it's literally like everyone's home for thanksgiving except for me and maya so i think i'm letting maya have the living room and i'm gonna go to the bama bar because we haven't watched an iron bowl together yet we're not starting now so (laughs) (laughs) for the health and sanctity of the relationship well, I'm sure I'll be giving you a call shortly before kickoff, Jackson. I'm yeah, yeah. Now, but give me a few screwdrivers, and I'll be feeling better about this about the spread. So we'll yeah. we'll figure something out. All right, guys. Well, thanks for the time and everything. Everyone have a good Thanksgiving and travel safely. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us. Uh, thanks right. for having us on. See you, boys. Roll thanks. tide. Roll tide. Bye, y'all. We're down. Bye, bye. All right. Thank you kindly to my guys for coming on and making time on their holiday week when they're back home to talk a little Iron Bowl with me. I really appreciate that. So we're going to now move on to the rest of the rival rivalry week preview. Um, of course, this is kind of a crazy schedule with games spanning all the way from Thursday to Saturday. So I'm just going to go in chronological order of each day and kind of hit the biggest games uh, day by day so you can kind of keep track as they'll be happening in real time. Before I dig into the college football, I just wanted to comment on how much I love this week of sports and time off and spending time with family and friends. You know, it's feast week in the college basketball world. Of course, the season started a couple weeks ago, but this is really the first big shebang when college football or basketball gets some of the uh, spotlight with all the not preseason, but early season tournaments from Maui to the Bahamas and New York and everywhere in between. So Alabama plays on Thanksgiving Day, kind of a later starting tournament as most of them wrap up uh, before the holiday or, you know, finish up that Friday, Saturday, at least with the championships. But it's just so much fun to look on the ESPN schedule and there literally be like, it feels like thousands of games spanning from eight in the morning until midnight so hope everybody has a fun time watching college basketball I always love have so many good memories of being in the airport traveling to see family go back for the iron bowl whatever um and just have you know random college hoops on at the airport bar it's always a lot of fun as everybody kind of gets fired up for the start of hoop season and whatnot also of course NFL is uh kind of owns thanksgiving it's always the big day with the crappy morning lions game and the usually crappy cowboys performance in the afternoon and then whatever the night slate is so we've got lions bears in the morning cowboys raiders in the afternoon and saints bills in the evening Uh, with all that being said while they might be the most popular on a national level you all know my favorite on Thanksgiving is the Egg Bowl with its glorious return to Thanksgiving Day. Thank goodness. Last year was pretty rough with just the weird COVID scheduling. They didn't play the game on Thanksgiving Day like they pretty much always do. Um, they moved that the Egg Bowl to Saturday with all the other games. And I believe it was the same time as the Iron Bowl last year. So didn't really even get to watch any of it, which was a big bummer because it's one of my favorite games of the whole season. Um course the last time <laughs> these two teams played on Thanksgiving night was the classic piss in the miss when 
Ole Miss receiver did the dog peeing celebration in the end zone there in Starkville, which of course got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty called on them, and then that moved the PAT back, which Ole Miss had a chance to tie the ball game with, and the kicker shanked the PAT. And, uh, you know, one of those things where you, you just kind of imagine if he was in the normal uh, PAT, you know, yardage, he would have hit it. But just the thing being 15 yards back and a game of that magnitude for all those guys at State and Ole Miss, he, uh, he shanked it. And Mississippi State won, but it wasn't enough to save either coach as both, <laughs> both the Ole Miss and State coaches were fired after that game which led to us now having a much more fun competitive high stakes uh egg bowl with Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin leading these two squads not really a whole lot to play for for state um you know I mean of course this this rivalry just bragging rights is enough no matter how good or bad you've been all year just like the iron bowl it's enough to kind of end your season on a good note even if it was a disappointing year by all accounts but State's been a lot better than I kind of expected them to be this year. Ole Miss, I was pretty high on them going into the season, so I kind of expected them to be in this spot. But Ole Miss is playing for a possible Sugar Bowl berth, which is you know a huge deal for the Rebels. Um, and State, they don't really you know they don't have any New Year's Day bowl game you know aspirations, but just beating Ole Miss and essentially eliminating them from Sugar Bowl contention would be uh, a nice little cherry on top of winning this thing to begin with. So State's a one-point favorite, which was a little surprising for me. Um, I, I thought Ole Miss would be favored in this game, but State's State's been good the past month or so. So I'm really fired up for this matchup. Uh, it's at 6.30 on Thanksgiving evening. So I hope everybody uh, has fun watching that and hope we get a, a lot of fireworks as everyone expects with a normal Egg Bowl, even if the teams suck, but especially now with these two head coaches, you never know what you're going to see. Moving on to Friday, a few good matches as the day uh, day goes along. Iowa and Nebraska, they are uh, playing at 1230 Central. You know, Nebraska, as much as we shit on them to begin the season, they've really finished strong, and even though they've they've had some just brutal, brutal losses this year, their win-loss record doesn't, you know, add up to be anything good, but... I mean, it's it's impressive how Frost has kept them fighting, and uh, I know I've I've probably crapped on him more than any coach in the country this year. But I mean, they're you know they're a favorite over Iowa right now, who at one point was a two the number two team in the country before they started their pretty uh, quick descent down the rankings. Uh, yeah, Nebraska is a three and a half point favorite in that one right now, which is uh, hey I don't know it's in Nebraska so. A little tempted to take the take the Huskers in that one. Mizzou at Arkansas, they're in the traditional CBS uh, time slot there on two thirty on uh, Friday afternoon. Um, Arkansas, you know, we'll see if they can bounce back from a really close, hard fought battle in Tuscaloosa, Missouri, coming off of a huge win against Florida. Even if it's a bad Florida team who just fired their coach, it's pretty much always a big day for Missouri if they can knock off a team of that that stature. So um, I expect the Hogs to take care of business. They're 14 and a half point favorites. So I don't know, maybe Mizzou gets a little, little momentum going and gives the Hogs a good fight. UNC plays at NC State. 
Uh, NC State's a six-point favorite in this one. This is at six o'clock on Friday night. Uh, not you know not much to play for in this one, but uh, UNC. I mean, it's just been a disappointing year for them. So maybe they can beat their in-state rival and end it on a good note. But just uh, overall, pretty pretty terribly disappointing year for the Tar Heels who had. ACC and Dark Horse playoff uh, aspirations. Finally, on Friday night, the Apple Cup, one of the cooler rivalries in college football. Washington State is traveling to Seattle to play the struggling Huskies at 7 o'clock Friday night. Let me check on the line on that one real quick. Wow, Washington State is only a one-point favorite. That is kind of surprising and lower than I thought it would be. Washington is coming off of a... uh, Loss to Colorado, who is not good. <laughs> um, they dominated the box score, but they turned the ball over the entire game and ended up losing that one 20 to 17. Washington State, after firing their coach, which was not due to performance as a reminder, it's because he refused to get the vi- vaccine and state policy required that he was terminated, but they have been playing really well since then. They have a potential three way tie. Uh, in the Pac-12 North, if Oregon State beats Oregon and Washington State beats Washington, then all of those teams would be at 6-3 and three in the conference. This three-way tiebreaker would shake out as follows. So if Oregon beats Oregon State, then Oregon wins the Pac-12 North, regardless of what happens in the Apple Cup. If Oregon State beats Oregon and Washington beats Washington State, then Oregon State wins the North. And if Oregon State beats Oregon and Washington State beats Washington, then Washington State wins. So, honestly, uh, none of these are super far-fetched. Oregon is the only one who controls their own destiny. But, um, you know, the rest of the games, especially if Oregon State could upset um, Oregon than the Huskies only being a one-point dog to the Cougars is not very far-fetched, nor is the vice versa scenario. So that'll be really fun to keep an eye on the Pac-12 there late on Friday and Saturday night. Of course, in the morning, we've got the game, the biggest one probably in five years since the near Michigan upset over Ohio State that led Harbaugh to be so angry about the calls. Uh, That game's at 11 a.m. Central. Whoever wins this game wins that division in the Big Ten and would go on to play Wisconsin in the championship game. It's really bizarre how one-sided this rivalry has been, considering how much hype and popularity it gets year after year. Ohio State has won eight in a row and 15 out of the last 16. Michigan's only win in that span coming in Ann Arbor in 2011 on a 40-34 to win. And if you remember last year, it really would be nine in a row and 16 out of the last 17, but Michigan uh, essentially bitched out on that football game last year because it was supposed to happen the last game of the regular season well into December with the weird COVID scheduling and everything. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but they uh, definitely, definitely kind of shimmied out of that ball game because Michigan was having a pretty, pretty rough year. And Ohio State was obviously ended up being in the national championship and rolled through everybody that regular season. So Michigan, uh, I think, used 
any type of COVID excuse that they could to get out of the game last year. But yeah, for it being such a popular rivalry, I mean, gets as much attention as the Iron Bowl or any other rivalry, Oklahoma, Texas, and college football. Uh, 15 out of the last 16 is pretty jaw-dropping that it's been that one-sided for, you know, basically everyone that's my age or any younger as far as we can remember watching football. There's really only been one Michigan win, and that's it. But they've got a good chance this year, only about touchdown dog. You know, I, it's it's hard to believe that Michigan could do this after it's been so damn long since they have beaten Ohio State, but I'm interested to see if they can at least keep it competitive, get it into the second half, and then who knows what could happen. This one's in the big house, so that certainly helps the Wolverines, but, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see them keep it close and uh, give us all something to watch in that early time slot before the Iron Bowl gets going in uh, at 2.30. The only other game of note in the morning hours is Florida State at Florida, uh, both of these teams are five and six right now, fighting for a bowl berth with a uh, coveted trip to Shreveport, Louisiana in the lovely Independence Bowl. Uh, so, yeah, that's got to be like the lowest, the lowest overall cumulative record between those two teams. And God knows how long they are both so down and out right now. It's just frankly hard to believe. Iron Bowl at 230, of course, which we already discussed. The Civil War in Oregon. That is at 2.30 as well. That's a shame. That would have been a fun night game. I wish we could have watched that. Where is that game? That's in Eugene, and the Ducks are a seven-point favorite in that one. A little higher than I would have initially expected after their performance last week. Uh, Finally, at nighttime, Texas A&M at LSU at 6 o'clock down on the bayou. Uh, You know, nothing really to play for for either of those teams. I guess it's Orgeron's last game uh, with the Tigers. LSU is also 5-6, and six, so they're fighting for a bowl berth. So if they can't upset the Aggies, then that actually will be Orgeron's last one. So you can expect to see some funky stuff in that one, I'm sure, with Orgeron, you know, doing God knows what on the sidelines and pulling out every last trick that he has. A&M's a 6.5-point favorite in that matchup. And the highlight of the evening is Bedlam. It's in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So the Sooners are four-point dogs to the Cowboys, something that nobody would have expected going into the season. But uh, that's sure to be a really, really intense matchup. Um, You know, I mean, Oklahoma State's got one of the best defenses in the country, and it's Kind of mind-boggling to figure out how Oklahoma will really be able to move this ball and score it all on them based on how pathetic their offenses looked really all season. It wouldn't be surprising to see the quarterback, uh, you know, duo they have there at Oklahoma kind of trotting on and off of the field for both of them like they did a couple weeks ago against Baylor. But if the Cowboys can win that and then win win the Big 12, then... You know, they've got a good shot at making the playoff, honestly. They're at number seven right now in the most recent playoff rankings, and they are a true dark horse who nobody at all saw coming. I mean, I think they were probably only supposed to win seven or eight games before the season, but that defense has carried them all the way through. Uh, Granted, pretty weak Big 12, but still, you know, if you're a one-loss Big 12 champion, then you uh, certainly have a seat at the table. So, so speaking of the Big 12 champion, 
Uh, I just wanted to go over the scenarios for this championship game. As a reminder, this is the only Power 5 conference that doesn't have divisions. So it's just one big table with the top two teams at the end of the season making it into the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma State has already clinched their berth into the ball game next weekend. Oklahoma controls their own destiny. So if they beat Oklahoma State this weekend, then they're in and we would have... Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State two weeks in a row, uh, which is just really bizarre and crazy. And I'm kind of hoping to see that because the other scenario is Baylor getting in instead of Oklahoma. So if Baylor wins and then Oklahoma loses, then Baylor would play Oklahoma State. This is really unique because, you know, think about it. Alabama could never play Auburn in the SEC championship game with how the conference is set up. Who knows going forward, maybe that could happen one day with all of the realignment and, you know, the soon-to-be shifting of the SEC as we know it. But, yeah, we could have two straight weekends of Bedlam, which would be pretty awesome and exciting. And whoever wins the Bedlam game this weekend will have a shot to be a one-loss Big 12 conference champion, which has a good shot to make it in. So they might need help from one or two other teams taking themselves out of the playoff. You know, they would definitely need Georgia to beat Bama and maybe hope that Cincinnati loses to Houston, but it's it's not too far-fetched that they could, if they beat, you know, the same team twice in a row or if one of them beat Baylor, or I guess that would only be Oklahoma State having the opportunity to beat Baylor in the Big 12 championship, but they would have a, a damn strong resume, and uh, that would be pretty interesting to see how the committee would handle that. That's all I got for the Rivalry rivalry Week preview. Cannot say that word at all. Uh, and we've got segments coming up next. Instead of doing the hot seat of the week like usual, I, I've, I'm out of people. <laughs> there have been so many firings before the season's even ended this year. It's been completely, completely bizarre. Uh, we've got, just to touch on the Power Five, we have both teams in Washington, Washington, Washington State, USC, Florida, LSU, Virginia Tech, TCU. So that's seven that have fired their coach before the usual, you know, Saturday night, Sunday, Monday firings that we see after rivalry week. Um, So the only one that's on my list still that hasn't already been fired is Manny Diaz. Uh, The Canes just beat Virginia Tech, who, of course, recently fired Justin Fuente. They're six and five, so bowl eligible now. They finish off their season with Duke, so you have to imagine they'll finish up at 7-5. and five. So certainly a disappointing year for the Canes, who, like UNC, had ACC and uh, even some Dark Horse playoff and Heisman hopes. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. Kiffin, Kiffin's name has been thrown around for the Miami job a little bit lately. Who knows? It could just be your typical kind of agents and doing their work on the rumor mill, um, but Diaz is really the only guy I've got left on here without doing some deep digging, so everyone else has been canned, so I guess we did all right on the hot seat segment this year. We'll touch more on the coaching carousel as, you know, surely a couple more people will get canned after this upcoming Saturday, so I'll do a little bit longer uh, segment on that next week when we know more certainties. Who's not back of the week? Uh, presented by Texas. It is yet again the Texas Longhorns. 
This is six straight losses after their loss this past Saturday. Uh, Kansas State plays them for the last game of the season. Please, Kansas State, just finish this thing off and let's get to seven in a row uh, for the uh, the most repetitive segment of all time. Uh, The helmet sticker from the past week goes to Bryce Young, who, against a pretty solid Arkansas defense, set the all-time Alabama passing record. With 559 yards, nobody else has ever passed for over 500 yards at Alabama. A lot of people throwing around the the suggestion that surely Tua could have gotten there if he really had to play like any second halves ever, which is certainly true. Um, you know, the defense was a good bit better a couple of his seasons, and uh, you know he was often getting pulled. The you know after the first drive of the third quarter. So I'm sure, you know, it could have been done, but the high-scoring nature of the game on Saturday uh, just forced Bryce to stay in. We needed him every last minute, and he was uh, solid and steady as he's been all season long. So, yeah, that was 31 of 40 for 559 and five touchdowns. The best bet of the week, per usual. Keep an eye on Twitter for that. Haven't gotten a chance to really dig into the lines too much yet. Um, last week, Cal got there easily for us. They were a one and a half point favorite at Stanford. Um, I ended up just taking the money line for like minus 120 and Cal won by 30 points. So we are nine and four on the year. I hope we can get to double digits to finish off the regular season. Uh, it's been a hell of a profitable year on best bets. So let's, uh, keep an eye on Twitter and we'll, we'll finish off strong. The group of five game of the week is Cincinnati at ECU. Scene of the Bearcats can be the first team since UCF to finish undefeated uh, in the regular season as far as group of five teams go. Uh, Coastal Carolina did it last year in their incredible season, but that was obviously a shortened COVID year. So I kind of don't count that in the same category. And they had, you know, outside of the BYU game and a good, good game against Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, you know, they had a much weaker schedule than Cincinnati had this year. Cincinnati knocked off a couple of power five or, you know, Indiana, who's, you know, barely power five this year. And then Notre Dame, who's technically not, but still a top 10 team. So, uh, see if the Bearcats can finish off the regular season undefeated and put the playoff committee in a really tough position if they get past Houston next week in the American championship game. The Pac-12 After Dark game of the week is Cal at UCLA. This one is at 9.30 on Saturday night. So after all the other important action is finished, this will be one last fun Pac-12 game to uh, send us off on the regular season. This is uh, actually Cal's second-to-last game of the regular season because the USC-Cal game from a couple weeks ago was rescheduled because uh, there was such bad COVID outbreaks on those teams. So that game, which has no implications at all for anybody, will be played on the same day as all of the other conference championship games. So that'll be, uh, you know, probably have a total of less viewers than people were in the Coliseum last week. I feel decent about saying that. What what I will be watching, the best games in the morning, afternoon, and evening time slots In the morning, we've got the game, Michigan-Ohio State. In the afternoon, the Iron Bowl. And at nighttime, we've got Bedlam at 6.30 p.m. 
uh, all of those games, you know, some of the best rivalries in America, and there's many more besides that you can have on your second screens or laptops or phones or whatever. So hope everybody soaks it all in. Crazy that we're already at the end of the season, but uh, yeah, should be fun. And then finally for game day grub, uh, not a recipe this week, but I wanted to put everybody onto the meat I'm doing for uh, Thanksgiving. It's just me and Maya here doing a small little Thanksgiving, the two of us. So I was wanting to smoke a turkey and do a big long cook for that, but all the ones I could find at the grocery store were like 15 pounds, and that's a little bit much meat for just two of us. So tonight I went to Moe's Barbecue and bought a couple pounds of their smoked turkey, which I'm sure most of you have tried at this point, but if you haven't, please do me a favor and try that Moe's smoked turkey. It's maybe besides their wings, my favorite thing that they sell. Uh, It's absolutely delicious, juicy, smoky, well done. Um, That's all I've got for the uh, Rivalry Week episode. So thanks everybody for listening. Again, if you're listening to this uh, (laughs) Wednesday night or Thursday morning, then happy Thanksgiving. Otherwise, safe travels and uh, everybody have a great weekend. Bye-bye y'all.